Welcome to The Brand is Female, I'm Ava Hartling. Every week I speak with a different woman leader about her journey so we can all be inspired and empowered by our mutual stories. If you like our show, I'd like to invite you to listen to another podcast we just started producing at The Brand is Female. It's called Everyday Ubuntu by the inspiring Mungi Ngomane, author and human rights activist. Her guests are personalities from different backgrounds who believe in our common humanity and who are helping make our world a better place. Look for Everyday Ubuntu on the podcast platform of your choice and hit subscribe. This week, my guest is Miriam McGuire, co-founder and creative director of McGuire, a design-led footwear brand that got its start in Montreal. Following footwear design studies in London, UK, and some time working for fashion brands, including Aldo, where she learned the industry's ropes, Miriam made the decision to launch a brand that would focus on style and provide affordable yet quality products. Inspired by brands that provide transparency on their cost structure, Miriam created McGuire with Ecom Operations and a first boutique in Montreal, later to open a second store in Toronto. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsor. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, the Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship opportunities. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. So growing up, I always wanted to be a footwear designer. It's like if I understood at a young age that there's a lot of clothing designer, but not so many footwear designer. And I started doing research about that. I didn't speak English and I would go online. I translated the world footwear from French to English. And then I started to look into school. And then I, I quickly realized that there's only few school in the world that teach footwear design. So mm -hmm. from a young age, I always wanted to do that. And no one in my family owns a business and my mother has uh, nine siblings. So, oh, wow. you know, so no one in my family uh, owns a business and no one works in fashion. So it was really an idea of my own. And mm -hmm. I was obsessed with that from the start, but I had no like outside encouragement or model mm -hmm. that I could follow. So I really did it on my own. <laughs> And what, uh, what steps did you take? So did you go, did you study in fashion or in footwear design specifically? What were your first steps in making that dream come true, basically? So at the time to study in England footwear design, uh, I think the pounds was like four times the amount in Canadian dollar. So I showed right. this school to my parents and I was like, okay, I got this all figured out. I'm going to go to this school. And my parents were like, we won't put a new mortgage on our house so you can go to school in London. So I instead, I went into uh, industrial design at University mm -hmm. of Montreal uh, because I knew some footwear designer in the sport category uh, mm -hmm. were often industrial designers. So I did that. And then um, I did an exchange in Italy and I was able to learn Italian, do some classes in fashion, even it was, if it was not in industrial design. And I, it's really where I found like the love for making fashion accessories. And then by the time I graduated university, uh, it was like 2008, there was a financial crash. So the pounds went down a, a lot. So I was able mm. to go study in London for a year at the, the footwear school I wanted to go since forever. So it's the okay. Corn College, which is the same school Jimmy Choo. Uh, studied so um so right. i did that for a year and uh, and then i started there <laughs> oh, fantastic 
and tell me about you know finishing school how what were your first steps in setting up mcguire and how did you go about creating your own business so a lot of my friends because a lot of people that were in the specific footwear school were coming from around the world so some of uh, the students had parents that owned factories in china or india mm. um or in russia and uh, but most of them were just like i'm studying footwear and i'm going to start my own business but instead i was like i'm studying footwear and one day i will start my own business but first i'm going to go work for someone and so from the start i wanted to work for someone and then um, after i graduated i applied as an uh, in an internship at aldo which is based in montreal um, mm -hmm. and then i worked there for six years where i learned a lot of of uh, what i'm doing right now and uh, working at aldo made me uh, kind of it speed all my business because i knew so much about the industry and the production and everything so Uh, this is why the growth of our business have been really fast. Uh, we only mm -hmm. launched, I think I quit my job like a bit more than four years ago. And then I started from scratch finding all the factories and everything. So in four years, uh, we were able to like hit a million in sale and, you know, mm -hmm. um, grow really quickly. Uh, and I don't think I would have been able to do that, like just going out of from university. Did you have any role models? You mentioned that, you know, it wasn't in your uh, immediate family because there, there's not necessarily entrepreneurs, you know, close to you, related to you. Uh, did you have any role models, somebody that inspired you to really, you know, go after your dream and, and own your own business? So after I graduated in London, I applied to a thing called Fabrica, which is the research center of the United Color of Benetton based in the north mm. of Italy. So I spent a year there and there at the bus was a man called Sam Baron, which was a French guy that spoke fluently French, uh, Portuguese, Italian, English, like all together. And he, what I really learned from him is that you just start with an idea and then you you just go and do it so this guy was able to pitch project to like vogue and like anyone and then i would see behind the scene how he would do it he would just pick up the phone and just mm -hmm. go for it and try to sell the project so working with him and working on all these big like high level project and exhibition and like a salone del mobile in milano and you know a big ex exhibition in new york and I was seeing all the back end of all, how he was building all of this. And it was just mm -hmm. like, because most people are afraid to just call Vogue and try to pitch a project. So no, no one does it, but you, mm -hmm. you would do it and you wouldn't be afraid to like get in touch with people and suggest like a partnership. So I think I learned a lot from, from this guy that was also a designer. So he didn't have any business background. He was just like, working on the design so i learned a lot from him from like all the design process but also how to kind of own your business and get out there and not be afraid to do it and also um i mean working at aldo it was great because i was able to meet all the people that were there in the 70s starting the mm -hmm. business and mm -hmm. my favorite thing would be to sit with Aldo himself or his wife, Diane, that was in the company for a really long time and just asked them, like, 
how do you like before when you were going to the show and there was no internet and no phone like how would you mm-hmm. you know how did you build the company so I learned so much for, from these uh, old school shoe people and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what I like the most about my experience and I mean a lot of other people have been in the company for like 20 30 years and it was nice to just sit down with them and ask them any question so uh, mm-hmm. and they always add great stories from the past and you know uh, and travel that they did like some of them went in China a week or two when China opened to the the rest of the world you know like some people yeah. went there <laughs> there was no road and they were looking for shoe right. factories so it's just so interesting all these stories and it for sure inspired me to start my own business because I saw mm-hmm. how the company went from being tiny to this huge uh, corporation so mm-hmm. I think it really inspired me that to say that even if I'm here in Montreal I'm able to like get out there and you know get outside of Canada outside of Quebec so uh, so yeah mm-hmm. What did you find the most difficult when you started your business? Was what was the toughest challenge for you? Um, I mean, so many things, <laughs> uh, but I think the most challenging was like I never had and I, I never study a business or accounting, so I had all the the production part and the design part, and my sisters in marketing and communication. All this part we were okay. But then mm-hmm. we knew nothing about numbers, so we <laughs> we made a lot of mistakes, like in the margins and the price we were, you know, quoting. And um, I mean, some years we we realized we were not making money, you know. So mm-hmm. it was all because we never uh, really had no clue about accounting, and also at the same time, uh, our company was growing really fast, but we had no access to. F- financing and we didn't know how Mm -hmm. to raise money how much money we would need so we spent the first year of the business just just getting from like ten thousand dollar loans to our fifteen thousand dollar loan to another twenty thousand loan because we had no idea how you finance a business so i would Mm -hmm. say the financial part of the business and the growth and also all the language that comes in this um, environment like how you pitch a startup and the word you have, the keywords you have to say to kind of um, get the bank on your side, and all this, these these strategies, we had no idea, and we learned a lot like from our mistakes. I mean, when we opened our store in Montreal, we, like the day we opened, we had no more money, so we were. I mean, we were three days of being bankrupt you know but we had like oh all this great project so it was just like yeah. really bad planning on our side because we we didn't know how much money it was gonna cost uh, mm-hmm. like doing all of this but it all worked out at the end thanks to our customers that show up and like bought the product but mm. it was it was really so after that uh, we decided to hire like an accountant firm and that now they're like monitoring everything every week. But like, that's, yeah, that was the difficult part. <laughs> so, okay, so if you were to do things over, um, what what's one thing you would do differently? And maybe it is hire an accounting from the start or an accountant from the start. Uh, I think I would have take risk like earlier in the start. And 
I think now it's it's hard to it's it's easy to say now because everything worked out and it was all fine. But our problem at the beginning, and I know it's the problem of a lot of women, is that we're a bit scared. We're not sure if it's going to work. So so we're going and like there was a, a starting loan at the Futsopreneur. You could have either 10,000, 20 or 30. So instead of going for the 30 right away, we went for a 10,000. But then like three months after we needed this money. So I think what I would have done is just like, okay, like we're doing it and let's go. Let's just like risk a bit and take the loan and like go for it. And we were not, a, we were not aiming high enough. I would say. Right. So we were just like, oh, we have like this small business and we'll go slowly. But I think I would have just aimed a bit higher with like the experience that I have in the industry. And like uh, we had shoes that were selling really well. So I would have just go for it. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people are doing. They're too afraid. So they won't go for it or they won't leave their job like soon enough, you know. So I would say if you have a good idea, and you really, really think it's going to work, like go for it. I mean, $30,000, it's a lot of money when you're on a payroll, you know, you've been on a payroll all your life. You're like, it's like half of my year pay. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's a lot of money. But at the end of the day, when you own a business, it's like an investment and it's going to bring you somewhere else. You know, it's you, you can't see it the same way that you're seeing like, the payroll, you know, and how do you make decisions? Typically, are you someone because I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're creative, you're also the, the designer. So are you more of a right brain or left brain person when you make decisions? Is it about your intuition? Are you very rational when you're trying to weigh, you know, what direction to go with something? I'm really, it's really based on intuition. So and I'm, I'm like, often right when I listen to my intuition. So um. And also, I like to listen to a lot of different opinions, and then I, I decide. And I, I never go, I never look back. Even when I take by, bad decision, I just don't, you know, I don't regret anything. I just move on, and then I make sure I don't make the same mistakes twice. So I, I never, you know, think again about all the bad decisions I made. Like I should have done this differently. Like it. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, and it's the same thing when my employees make mistakes. Like, okay, fine, let's just move on. Like, let's not talk about the mistake that this person did like two months ago. It's fine. Like, uh, let's just move on. So I'm really, I like to make decisions fast and move really quickly. When it moves too slow, it drives me crazy. And my sister mm -hmm. moved really slow. <laughs> so, so basically, we always say, because we're two in the business, and we always say, like, mm -hmm. I have my uh, foot on the accelerator, and she has the foot on the brake. On the brake. So it kind of balances out everything. <laughs> What's your vision with, uh, of, of leadership? What does leadership mean to you? I think leadership, for us, the way we see it is, like, we lead by example, so for me, it's like I, I try to show my team that this is a way to do it. And I try to be as like fair as possible. And so like I expect the same thing from them. So uh, mm -hmm. if I treat you, I mean, it happened in the past job that it's had an intern that I was treating really well. 
And then later I saw that she was not tra- treating well another intern that she, she had under her. And I was like, why don't she remember that when she was an intern, I was like really nice to her and giving her place mm-hmm. to grow. So for me, like it's important that we do the same thing with our team. So if I have a team member that I give her space to speak and to grow and, you know, I expect the same thing from her when she's going to have a new colleague and, you know, the new person will join the team. So for us, leadership is really leading by example and, and trying to be fair with, uh, with our team. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners that can provide education, financing, mentoring, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship opportunities, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. As a woman entrepreneur and a woman at the helm of your business, um, do you feel that there are qualities that you bring to the table as opposed to a man in a leadership position? I think being a woman at the head of a company, first, it makes like the other woman in the company comfortable. So that's like a big Mm -hmm. plus because I've been in an environment when you're in like a, a boys club. So sometimes as a woman you're like oh there's no way I'm gonna get a promotion and there's no way I'm not a man and I've heard mm-hmm. also companies where uh, as soon as a woman get pregnant they tell their executive make sure you get rid of her make sure she's not yeah. coming back so that's like a rea- reality that you know some of my friends live that I've seen happening and then often mm-hmm. in these companies, they're going to give more opportunities that women that don't have boyfriends or a family. And that, yeah. that for me was like extremely frustrating. Even if I don't want to have children, my sister has a kid, like it's mm-hmm. a personal choice, but I don't think like a woman with a kid or not, not a kid should have better opportunities. So as women in leadership, we try to take this in consideration. Um, mm-hmm. so I think like we're hoping that when you have women at the end of a company, it's like more fair for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it, it also inspired me to start my own business because I was like, if I do my own business, I can do my own thing and we can break these stereo- stereotype, uh, in the, especially in the fashion industry, there's, it's like a mm-hmm. hard industry. And we wanted to make it more human in the way we work with the employees because sometimes I've been in really tense meeting and, you know, and at the end of the day, you're like, we're just making shoes. Like it's, you know, no one's going to die if we don't take, yeah, we're not doing anything (laughs) important, you know? So um, we try to remind ourselves that. So to not make big deals for like, small mistakes and especially not in the fashion industry but uh, unfortunately it's an industry where it's often lead by men and uh, yeah and like it's a really hard industry also in terms of 
psychologically, like they, it's really demanding because there's a lot of people that wants to work in the industry. So because mm -hmm. there's a lot of young women also, there's a place for a lot of abuse. And uh, we're trying to, you know, uh, the young women that we have, like treat them well. So if they go somewhere else, they, they're going to know that this is not how you should be treated, you know? Mm. So, uh, so yeah. So that was for sure a consideration when we started the business. That's great. That's great that you do that. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting, especially in footwear, uh, you know, when we think of some of the, the bigger names in, in luxury footwear, especially there's a lot of men designers and it always strikes me as interesting that we cho we choose to you know lust after these shoes that are designed by men and often are not very comfortable <laughs> to wear as a woman who's living real life is that something that you know was also behind your idea like when you design shoes what do you what you know what comes to your mind yeah I've uh, like when you go to the main fair in footwear you only see like 50-something uh, men's in suits, in like navy suits. Most of them are, are Italian. So, and then the women are often just like an assistant or at the entrance or their model, they hire to model the shoes. But um, often the, the only women that are there are designers, um, but they're not often like CEOs of, of companies. Um, yeah. So it was something like when I started, like you kind of quickly learn that you have to get respected by these men. Otherwise, like they won't do business with you. They won't give you any favor, you know, like, so, um, mm -hmm. so for sure, like that's something interesting. And then I remember being in a factory in Italy uh, with some of our partners at, at the beginning, and it was three men in their fifties and sixties. And I remember yeah. them all fitting women's shoes. But they were not even fitting shoes. They were just like, this is mm -hmm. the new design. And then I would try their shoes and be like, this is so not comfortable. Why are you, why is this part like so high? Why is this part? So they were like there taking note. And I was like, you don't include any woman in like the fitting of your yeah. shoes or the design or the selection of colors. Like, mm -hmm. like what does three men living in the countryside in Italy knows about like what a woman in the, in the city wants to wear? Like I was just yeah. so, so in shock. And I think it's a, it's a part of the success of our product. Like we're making product that I think women actually want to wear. And mm -hmm. I find a lot of companies that are led with men's, like I've seen companies right now led with men's that are selling high heel, high heel shoes. And I'm, yeah. I just want to tell them, do you realize like most women work from home and yeah, exactly. like they don't <laughs> live in a, uh, they're not living a life where you have like a driver that comes pick you up in front of your door and yeah. then drive you in front yeah. of a restaurant. Like most women need to walk or take the Metro, but they still want to mm -hmm. look good. So I think that's um, a difference that we have, but it's also an advantage uh, in front of our competition. What would you say to someone who, a woman who's thinking of starting a career in fashion, what would be your recommendations to her? I would say like, just start somewhere, anywhere. But the idea is to get exposed to as many things as possible. So I was lucky to go to China when I was 25 years old. And I went on this trip, I was the assistant. And I, I, I mean, 
don't be afraid to just start at the bottom of the ladder. But the important thing is like you, you try to register as much information as possible and try to see how you can apply them to grow like uh, in your career. So, um, so I was always the one ready to like clean the back store, uh, move the shoes. Like I was never too precious to do, you know, the, the dirty work, work if you want, but then I would do it quickly. So they had no choice to give me interesting work. So I think like you kind of just have to suffer for a few years, but like I didn't mind. I was just like learning at every small things I was doing, even if it was not the glamorous thing, I was, I was just taking in everything I could. And I, when I was in London, I was interning for a guy called Jonathan Saunders. Now he, he yeah. does all the Diane von Furstenberg um, collection. He's the designer that replaced her. Um, and the, I, for him, I was just like, he would send me two hours in the tube to pick up some silk for him and then come back and then my day would be over. And I wouldn't get like any thank you or whatever. I would just do it, bring back the thing and, and that's it. So, but I really enjoy it because I could see where the silk was coming from and uh, what a factory looks like because I would go in the factory to pick up his dress and then I would bring back these $2,000 dress, 2,000 pounds dress on my legs in the, in the tube. And I was like, this tube in yeah, London, <laughs> like full of people, and I was like, no one knows what I have in my hand, but it's worth yeah. a fortune. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, like, I think you just have to have fun with like these experience and start somewhere, and it's gonna take you like it's gonna take you to the right place as long as you're yeah. ready to work. You know, I want to talk about what's been happening over the past few months for a minute because COVID hit. You know, it's I don't know seven, eight months now. It's obviously been tough for anyone who's in retail, in manufacturing, anybody that's selling a product, especially fashion, and especially a product like shoes, where, as you said, we're not wearing a lot of heels these days, and you know everybody's working from home. How has COVID impacted you, and how, what kind of business decisions did you make to make sure you could transition through that period? Yeah. So when COVID hit, it was it couldn't hit at a worse moment for us because we were uh, two weeks from opening the Toronto store and it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like a big party, a big happening. So we were two, two weeks before opening, like um, my friend that was building the store had only one week of work left. And, it, and then I made a deal with him that I would only pay him at the opening of the store because we would make like a lot of money and then I would be able to pay him. And then suddenly, like the money was not coming in like it used to <laughs> used to be, and then there was no opening. But all the investment was there. Like we paid, basically, we had to pay for the store, and we had like no money, nothing. And then it was my friend on top of it, so I had to pay my like I didn't want to put my friend in a bad situation. So um, so that happened, and then. Um, the sh the start uh, the store started to shut down so we had to close everything so before covid our cell used to be 70% in store and 30% online and then since it switched and now it's 70% online and 30% in store which make me really happy because if there's a second a second wave we're fine you know yeah exactly so 
for us, when it happened, the first thing we did is um, we were in discussion with an investor before COVID and he decided to invest in the business, even though the future was really uncertain. But in March, it was not so uncertain. Like we thought it would, was going to take like a month or, and then everything would go back to normal. We didn't know we were in like a two, three years <laughs> journey. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so he invested in the company and it just solved all their, our problem. And, and we found an investor that was really in for the right reason. And the, the reason, and when we were discuss, uh, in our discussion, a big thing for him was like, it's a guy from Quebec that opened a business and he moved in the States. His business became really big in the state and was bought by a big US company. And now he has money to invest in like all kinds of businesses. So he told us, if I invest in you and it works, and eventually you sell or you make money, you have to invest in other people like you. And when, mm -hmm. when he said right. that, we were like, yes, like we're speaking the same language. And, uh, and then now it's COVID, he's not putting any pressure on us to like make more money so we can get, you know, it's not this vibe. The vibe is really to grow um, an healthy business. Um, so this is what I, I really like about him. So he basically really like came at the right moment. And then he coached us during COVID to like be able to raise the money. We were already raising money and we were supposed to sign everyone just before COVID, like the BDC and the, the bank and everyone. So, um, and then everything fell because of COVID. They, we had to start over. We had to redo all our numbers, all our projection. Um, but the investor was there as a guide, as a coach to just like, you know, teach us how you raise money. And this is really what we needed. So we've met like um, the, the right person at the right time. And at the same time, we were like, okay, instead of taking COVID as like a big uh, problem, we'll take it as a, an opportunity to grow online. So we, we invested a lot of our time and effort into like growing the communication with our and the community online. And it was at the perfect time because everyone was on their phone. So we took this opportunity to become really, really strong online and we're still working on it. But um, today the stores are reopened, but we're still making a lot more online than in store, which we don't mind because the day that the store become popular again, we'll, we'll have the store. But in the meantime, we're strong online. So we took it as an opportunity to grow instead of being just discouraged and, uh, and uh, freak out. But I would say we still freaked out a, a few, few weeks. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you my favorite question to ask on the show, which is what do you wish women would do more of? I think, like I said, I wish women would take more risk and like, um, like a lot of women don't feel like they're, uh, they don't have the capacity to do, like to start a business, for example, or to ask for a better job or a better pain. And like, that's something that marked me. I, I heard that often men get better salaries because they ask mm -hmm. and women don't yeah. ask. So, and often when we hired employees, uh, when we post for a job, we get all kind of crappy CVs from men's 
that don't have the skills, mm -hmm. but they don't care. They just send the application. They're anyway. like, they're applying yeah. up. Yeah. But yeah. the CVs we get from women are often like a lot more elaborate and mm -hmm. like they have a lot more experiences that are valid for the position. So I would say like, just stop to be afraid and just go for it, apply mm -hmm. and ask. And like, mm -hmm. if you don't ask, no one will give it to you. So, uh, so that's what I also, that's, the best advice. Yeah, that's what I say also to the girls, like you're, say you're allowed to ask us for more and it's okay. It's your right, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so often what we try to do is give it to them before they ask. But in the real life, it doesn't work like that. So we, we try to tell them. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're lucky uh, at McGuire, basically. So what's next for you? Obviously, getting through the craziness of COVID, but what's on, you know, what's in the 12-month plan for the company and maybe on your own personal journey? Yeah, so at first, we were, we were thinking of going to the U.S. next. So we were into a, a mode of, going into new markets um, but then with what happened like we're not sure if us is the right decision so we're maybe looking into europe and france because on mm -hmm. our side we um, we al already translate everything in french and english so every time we right. launch a product or something we're like our life would be so much easier if we could do it all in english but because we're based in quebec mm -hmm we have to do both so French. we're yeah. we're slowly thinking of like if we're translating already everything it's an advantage that other american businesses or uh, canadian businesses don't have in france and so mm -hmm. we're slowly looking into france and still keeping an eye on the us but like i would say we're we're just looking into other market and we're also looking to expand more in canada and uh, okay. because like yeah. we're known in Montreal, especially where we're from, but I think we need to put more effort into getting out there in uh, Toronto mm -hmm. and the rest of, of Canada, because I think there's great potential. Thank you so much for speaking with me on The Brennan's Female today. Thank you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Five stars would be appreciated. Thank you to TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.